first reading today comes from Romans 16, 1 to 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church of Senrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend, Epeniatus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apellus, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, whose women who worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Ansyncritus, Felon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philogagus, Julia, Nerissus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. The next reading is from Hebrews 13, 1-8. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you here. Let me pray as we begin to think about friendship. Father, we thank you for your word, and may you enable us to not just know you, but to be people who love each other and really develop really healthy and helpful friendships uh, amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know if you have watched the uh, sitcom Friends. Uh, it's a very famous sitcom, uh, and I do have a confession to make. As famous as it is, I never watched it. 
And I thought I needed to start that way because uh, there's no doubt when you think in terms of our popular culture about Friends, this was a series that really was defining uh, in the 90s. It ran for 10 years. Uh, it was one of the longest running sitcoms and number of awards it won, 62 nominations for primetime Emmys. And I think it captured the world, not just America's imagination, but the world's imagination because it was a program that really put forward the whole value of friendship. And you had these six uh, fun-loving young adults. There was Rachel, Monica, Phoebe, Joey, Chandler and Ross. Goofy, quirky, um, and they just had a great time together. And this series, in a sense, um, had one key theme, which was that the most important thing was not to care so much about other people's opinions, but rather to have a close circle of friends around you that you did life. And I think that's why it just resonated uh, right through the 90s uh, into the 2000s and has since made a rerun on Netflix. 2015, the series was bought and again seen by millions of people. And when you think about friendship, um, it is so profound. And I was reading a couple of uh, articles about friendship and particularly some studies that were done on the need for friendship. And here's a couple of fi uh, figures for you as you think about friendship. 27% um, of millennials, and millennials are the people who are aged 25 to 40, actually say, this is in America, they have no close friends. This is 2017. Uh, 2017, 25% of millennials have no acquaintances, and 22% have no buddies at all. Now, what about Australia? Are we any different over here? Well, the answer is no. Um, in 2018, there was a study done, and 25% of Australians feel lonely at least one day a week. It's a very sad statistic. And 30% of Australians feel like they are not part of a group of friends. And as I was writing this talk and thinking about those statistics, I thought there's no doubt there'll be people who are listening today that will identify with that sadly, that they feel alone, that they don't feel like they actually have a group of friends. And I want to look at uh, a number of things this morning. Uh, firstly, the value of friendship. Uh, secondly, the transformation of friendship. And thirdly, the practice of friendship. But let's think firstly about the value of friendship. And uh, I do say I did feel a bit cheeky getting uh, the Bible readers to read Romans 16 this morning. Uh, Trisha's rolling her eyes here in the church because let me just say, such a difficult passage with all those names. But it is a fascinating chapter and we don't often look at Romans 16. Uh, it's one of these kind of additions that we think of as just sort of, um, yes, nice that it's there, but not really study it in any kind of depth. And when you look at Romans, no doubt it's not the most studied book uh, chapter in that book, in what is a profound book. But I want you to note a few things. In that reading from verse 1 to 16, 15 times in the original language, he uses the word to greet. And it is striking. Greet this person, greet this person. And in the 15 greetings, he mentions by name 26 different individuals and households. And they no doubt represented many of the household churches that were meeting in the city of Rome at the time. And you do suspect that probably... There were many Christians we know at the time that Paul wrote uh, in the middle of the first century that probably many of them didn't actually know each other and there was a sense of which Paul was introducing them to themselves. Now what's fascinating is four times he picks out individuals to describe them as friends. But not just friends, the word he use, uses here is the word for beloved. 
And there's a number of different words used in the New Testament for friends. Uh, one could be from the word philos, but this is a word uh, which means beloved. And to give you a feel for the weight of it and the strength of it, it's the same word that God the Father uses in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, when the Lord Jesus was baptised by John, and the voice from heaven, which was God the Father, comes and speaks words over his Son, and he describes him as his beloved. And that's the same word that Paul is using here of these friends. And so when you put that together in this chapter 16 of Romans, what you see is... um, there were numerous acquaintances that he held with the people in the city of Rome. And he describes them in various ways, households, churches, co-workers. And secondly, there were the workers in the gospel, people who he'd worked side by side with, which you just sense there is this deep affection. They're almost like family to him. But yet in the midst of all these people, there's four that he describes as his beloved. And I was thinking about this, and you can see the uh, names here, I've just got three of the four of them, uh, and you can see those verses, greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ uh, in Asia, you see Ampelatus, but my dear friend in the Lord, greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachius, and then lastly, in verse 12, his dear friend uh, Persis, a woman who worked hard in the Lord with him. And I think when we think about the Apostle Paul, uh, we think of this great man who we know was single, who preached the gospel all through uh, the Mediterranean regions, uh, from Jerusalem right round to Rome in the Greek areas and the Turkish areas. He often suffered for this cause. Uh, he was beaten on occasions. He was imprisoned. Uh, he was shipwrecked. Uh, he also had uh, people who were close to him desert him. And at times he appears superhuman, you could say, in the way he just keeps going for Christ through all of the trials and struggles and difficulties that he has to face. And I think what's fascinating is behind it, you see that one of the key things that sustained him were actually these relationships he had. Uh, These people were very dear to him. And it struck me because... We don't know much about these people. In fact, we know very little at all about them. But obviously they're very significant to Paul, that he would describe them as his beloved, his deep friends, and they were very important. And so it wasn't just that the Lord Jesus sustained Paul in his mission and in his ministry. What you also see here is that there were just, there was this raft of friends some of them very dear to him, who were companions with him in the journey of life and in the ministry of the gospel. And they were very significant. There was this great value of friendship for the Apostle Paul. And friendship is very valuable. And I was thinking about friendship, and there's five words that uh, I was thinking, for me, describe friendship. Firstly, uh, it's very ordinary. And I say that not to undermine it, but I say that because we don't often celebrate friendship. It's one of these just common things in life. Uh, We have friends. It's ordinary. And I think we don't often realise how profoundly important friendship is because it is so ordinary at one level. And the second thing about it is it's universal. And the thing I love about friends and friendship, which I think is very liberating, is 
It's not a gift for the few. It's not for the wealthy. It's not for just the privilege. It's actually just for anyone who will be a friend, who will work on friendships. And anyone in this world can actually have friends. And I think that is a wonderful thing. But the third thing about friendship is they are profound. And we've seen here, I think, the profound nature of the way they assisted Paul in his ministry. But I want to give you another statistic from something I was reading, and it's to do with the profound impact that the relationship of friendship has on our health. Uh, Some health experts have said that the health consequences of being friendless and living in isolation is dire. Loneliness affects us both mentally and physically. It contributes to depression, low self-worth and poorer psychological well-being. And you see this when they look at the effect of uh, loneliness in people and the way uh, they live or don't live in terms of mortality stakes. And apparently it's as bad having chronic loneliness as smoking 15 cigarettes a day in terms of the impact that it will have on your life uh, and life expectancy. And so I thought, if you're going to choose between going on a new diet or starting a friendship, go with the friend every day. <laughs> Far more important, eat well and have some friends. Now, the fourth thing is they're essential. And you see, that's what we're seeing. And what I've just said in terms of the profound nature of it, they are absolutely essential for us. And not everyone can get married, but everyone can have a friend. And I was thinking that in terms of our church life together and walking the journey of holiness that God calls us to, that we are to follow Christ and live for him in this world. And I thought one of the great struggles that we often have is with human sexuality. And it is something that's to be reserved for marriage alone. And if you're not married as a single person, then chastity is the call of the gospel. And one of the ways that single people can not just survive but also thrive in this scenario is through rich, healthy friendships. And not just in the area of human sexuality, in all areas of life. I think for us to thrive, we need other people that we're doing life with. And there's no doubt when I see Christians who are isolated, they're often struggling as a result in their faith. But when we've got good Christian brothers and sisters who are friends beside us, who are walking well with us, it's such an encouragement to us. They're absolutely essential. But lastly, you'd also have to say they're complicated. And I think for all of us, we know the reality of broken friendships, of difficult friendships, uh, of fractured relationships. Uh, I think in my own life of some of the events and relationships that have transpired and there's some wonderful moments that I can remember but there's also some very painful ones and in particular a friendship that's broken that I've never been able to repair from my best friend growing up and that's the nature of friendships they are complicated because you see this mix of human desire but also human sinfulness as we want to be friends but yet we struggle in our friendships and there's a complexity to it And I love what Michael Jensen wrote. Uh, He wrote a uh, magazine article in the Eternity Christian magazine recently on friendship. And he said these words, Friendship is a basic human need without which it is almost impossible to survive. 
And he noted even Tom Hanks in the movie Castaway made a friend, Wilson, out of a volleyball. And if you haven't seen that movie, it is a very um, significant movie to watch. Uh, it's a great movie of human triumph in adversity, but also of how to survive in isolation. And the only way that Hanks in the movie survives is by making a friend with this volleyball that got washed up on the deserted island he was with. And you might think that's a bizarre thing, but he just needed someone or something to actually talk to, to have a sense of companionship to get through life with. Well, that's the value of friendship. We absolutely need them. But secondly, the transformation of friendship. And there's no doubt for me that one of the great truths of the Christian faith is that the gospel changes everything. And when I say changes everything, it changes how, how our whole outlook on life. And in particular, it changes friendship in a way that I think it broadens our friendship base and it deepens our capacity to have friends and be friends. And it puts at the base of our friendship something that is just so profound. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who is really the one who brings us together as friends in the Christian faith. And I've got a reading for us, uh, which is Hebrews 13. Again, last chapter in a book, uh, not often read that much, uh, not often preached on, but yet it's got a profound list of little instructions um, on a whole range of topics in uh, chapter 13 of Hebrews. And it begins this way. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. And you just see this sense of the congregational life that the writer to the Hebrews is uh, picturing. And one of the things he's saying is so important is that they just keep developing this love and friendship for each other in a general sense. But then he says these words in verse 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. And the reason I bring this uh, passage to us is because that word hospitality uh, is a very significant and interesting word in the original language. Uh, it comes from two words in the Greek language, which is uh, the word philos, where we get the word friend, and secondly, the word xenia or xenos, which is the word for stranger. Uh, xenos is where you get the concept of xenophobia, to be afraid of strangers or uh, unknown situations with people. And the Greek language puts them together. And that's our word for hospitality. In other words, hospitality equals a love or a friendship of strangers. And I think the way it's been um, converted in our modern secular world is that we just think it's what we do with our friends. We have them over. We have hospitality. We invite them into our homes. But in the first century, to have hospitality was almost uh, the opposite. It was to take people you didn't know into your home. And you put these two verses together uh, that the writer has put. In other words, be friends, love those who are your brothers and sisters, but also be a friend to those you don't know. And I love the way he puts it. Because by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. And he's reflecting there on some of the experiences of the people of God in the Old Testament. And I want you to think about that. This whole concept of hospitality and loving strangers. You see, this is the nature of what the gospel does to us. It changes how we view people. 
And it's people who have been loved by the Lord Jesus and forgiven and given hope by his death and resurrection. We don't look on people to use them. We don't look on people as just, I'm going to associate those with those who are just the same as me. And within the Greco-Roman Empire and that context and culture, a friendship was entered into with those who were similar in your social standing. You would never have friendships with people who are below you in terms of your social standing. It was something that you chose very carefully. But what happens with the gospel is it broadens and deepens our concept and our capacity to have friendship because of our experience of God's love in Christ and our meeting of the Lord Jesus who has befriended us. And it really does transform our friendships and the people we have friends with and the way we have friendships. It deepens them, it broadens them. And I wanted to illustrate this by telling you the story of a girl I read about. I've been reading a number of books about friendship and this story was in the book. And the lady I'm speaking, going to speak about is a lady called Lauren Winner. And she's written a book there, you can see Girl Meets God. And she's got a fascinating story. She was raised by a Southern Baptist mother as well as a Jewish father. And because the father was Jewish, he raised the kids to be Jewish. Now... Lauren was a bookworm who loved studying and she loved practicing the ins and outs of tradition growing up. And she officially decided to convert to being a Jew. Apparently it was not automatic because of the mixed nature of the family and her being a girl. And so when she began her undergraduate education at Columbia University over in America, she made this decision and she was officially converted to become a Jew. And she was wholehearted in her efforts, which included at 6 a.m. study sessions. Uh, it also commit, involved a commitment to observe the laws of Kashrut. I'm not quite sure what that is, but uh, it was a Jewish practice. But two years after her conversion, she found herself in Cambridge, also studying. She's a very bright lady. And there, she said, she felt strangely called by the Lord Jesus. I won't go into the conversion, um, but she became a Christian. And in her studies at Cambridge University, she met a new group of friends who just loved her and cared for her. And I love the way she described the friends that she had then and the friends that she had at Columbia University. She writes, The day before I left Cambridge for good, I saw Paul and Gillian, two of the most annoying of the annoying Christians, on the Clare Bridge, and I hugged them. I said I would miss them. I thought I was lying just to be polite, but I wasn't. I miss them. I do. No one else I ever meet will have pledged to support me in my life of Christ, which is exactly what Paul and Gillian pledged at my baptism. The friends at Columbia The friends I meet for drinks at trendy bars in the village, the friends with whom I chat about post-structuralism and Derrida, French philosopher, well, those people didn't witness my baptism. They didn't cheer at my confirmation. They didn't pray with me every Sunday for two years. They didn't hand me Kleenex tissues when I burst into inexplicable, inexplicable tears in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. They aren't my brothers and sisters in Christ. They are merely friends. 
And do you hear what she's saying? Yes, I've got friends that I go and do the things of the world with. Go to bars and drink and chat about interesting topics. But they're not the friends who love me deeply, who know me deeply, and who I am doing the wonderful journey of the Christian life with. These are the friends that the gospel have transformed and that gospel has transformed that friendship. And what she is so eloquently describing is how the gospel changes everything, including the very DNA of friendship. And friendships to Lauren Winner were no longer just about preference and social status, but an expression of our experience of salvation in Jesus Christ. And friendships for her were now orientated outwards to serve the needs of others through self-giving love, such that now we even make friends with strangers, with people who are different from us, from people who have higher social standing and lower social standing, with people who are richer and poorer, single and married. It's the profound nature of friendship in the Christian faith. It is totally transformed by the gospel. And I want to finish by thinking about what it means then as Christians to practice friendship. Because there's no doubt that we need to do that because the gospel changes everything, including our friendships. And I want to read through a number of Proverbs to, as well as one gospel story just to think practically in application about actually how do we practice friendship well. And the first thing I want to say is this. Uh, we actually need to work at our friendships. They're not just something that is an automatic in the Christian life. And I love what Proverbs 18.24 says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. In other words, there are unreliable friends. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And it's a great reminder and word to us that we need to be friends who are reliable, who can be counted on, and who do stick with people through both the thick and the thin of life, the joys of life and also the struggles of life. And if you want to have friends, you need to be a good friend. And to be a good friend, we need to work at it in terms of modelling Christ's self-giving love to the people who we're in friendship and relationship with. And people sometimes complain to me that they don't have any friends. And when they tell me that, I do want to try and listen and be empathetic and try and understand why that is the case. But I'm also thinking, to what extent have you been a good friend? To what extent are you reliable? Do you initiate things with your friends? Do you stick with people like Jesus sticks with us or are you just flaky? And it has to be said, some people have no friends at all because all of their relationships are just about them and their needs. And that's not friendship. When you have someone relating to you like that, it's very difficult. But secondly, we need to pick our friends wisely. Proverbs 12, 26 says this, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. And it's a great reminder that it is very important who we have walking the Christian faith with us. The people you choose to associate with will affect you for better or worse. It's why we say to our kids, 
pick your friends well at school. And if you ask parents what's important for school, well, yes, there is the academic side of it, but actually when you boil it down, it's, are my kids making good friends at school? It's a very significant question to ask as parents. And when I was first converted, I had a motley crew of friends. They were great people, let me say. I loved them. But I stopped going out to the party scenes late at night because, you see, each weekend they'd be drinking. Not just drinking, they'd be doing drugs. And I used to go out with them, but I'd often come home at 11 o'clock when kind of things got wild. And I wanted to stay as their friends and not abandon them just because I'd become a Christian. But I also needed to choose new friends and have friends who were going to help me in my walk with Christ. And the thing that was fascinating for me is the people I became friends with were not the ones before becoming a Christian I would have ever thought I would be friends with. Because they were so different to me. But yet they had this profound love for me which just melted my kind of preconceptions and the barriers I had up. And they were great friends. And they enabled me at that stage of life to just grow in my faith. And it was profoundly important. And one of them I'm still friends with. His name's David Painter, our mission partner over in Cambodia. And it's always a great joy to see David. And he was such an unlikely friend to have, but I became friends with him through the gospel. And it was wonderful. But thirdly, be honest in your friendships. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Um, you're no friend if you never say anything that's difficult to your friends. And we actually need to be in relationships that are close enough and trusting enough to have people who can speak into our lives and we can speak into their lives. It's what I spoke about two weeks ago in terms of the whole ministry of encouragement and admonition. We need people to cheer us on. But we also need people who will correct us. And we need friends and we need to be friends who will on occasion, not all the time, but we needed say those difficult words. And let me say, one of the things that's so important for us is that we do have people close to us so that if they are straying, we can be the ones who say, come on back. Start walking along the centre of the road according to the gospel. And that's what good friends do. There's an honesty in their relationships. But the last thing I want to say is be a witness to your friends. One of the statistics about how people come to faith is this. There's normally always a significant Christian person or friend whom they know has been an influence in their life. And I think this is one of the challenges for people who've been Christian for a long time. We can just have our group of friends who are Christian who are within the church. And I want you to think about that instruction from the book of Hebrews. Be friends to strangers. That may be strangers who are here in the church. It may be strangers to people who are in the world. Be a friend to them. And we need to have a witness to friends who are new who are outside the church. The church that has no friendship with people in the world is not a church who resembles the Lord Jesus. I've got on the screen some favourite words of mine from Luke chapter 5. It's the story of when Levi was called to become a follower of the Lord Jesus and one of his disciples. 
And in verse 27 of chapter 5, we read this. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. But note what happens next. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. And the first thing he does is he takes Jesus and he says, come and meet my friends. And we need to be the same. We need to have friends who are not part of this fellowship, who are in the world, who we love and befriend and are witnessing to about the love of Christ. And so may we do those four things. May we work at our friendships. May we choose our friends wisely that are close to us. But may we also have friends who are outside the Christian faith that we can bring in to know about Jesus. And may we be honest in our friendships because, you see, friendships are so valuable. They're essential in life. They're profound. And though we often don't view them that way because they are so ordinary, they're something that every single person needs and can have. And they're transformed by the gospel to give us a depth and a love and a service such that these friendships become critical for us to walk the mile together and reach the end and become mature in Christ. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you for the friendships we have and we just pray that you would enable us to work at our friendships, to be good friends and to just value them. People both inside and outside the church, we thank you for this great gift in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we're now going to finish.